This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. It's that gay cowboy movie that's arguably not about gay cowboys. It's Brokeback Mountain, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back. This film is lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. In this month, the month of our pride, um, uh, we're talking about Brokeback Mountain. So, for Pride Month, we are doing Brokeback Mountain. If you want to hear why we're doing Brokeback Mountain, you can go listen to our prequel episode where we discuss it at length, or at least to some length. Uh, there was a bit of length. Yeah. Uh, we had a, you know, there's a, a few reasons. There's reasons we decided, thought maybe maybe we'll do a different one, and we ultimately decided, yeah, let's do it. Uh, and so, yeah, we're doing Brokeback Mountain, and we have all of our normal segments. So, let's just get right into it with, let me sum up. Let me explain. There is too much. Let me sum up. Uh, this is Brokeback Mountain by Annie Prue. Cowboys Ennis Del Mar and Jack Twist share a summer on Brokeback Mountain, tending to sheep. During that time, they fall in love, but eventually part ways. Over the years, both men have unsatisfactory marriages and children, seeing each other only occasionally. Jack wants them to set up a life together, but Ennis always has a reason not to. They have a falling out at one point and don't see each other for a while. Eventually, Ennis receives word that Jack died in an accident, although Ennis fears something darker happened. And all Ennis is left with are memories of Brokeback Mountain. All right. Here is a brief synopsis. Obviously, spoilers are incoming. For Brokeback Mountain, the film. Jack Twist and Ennis Del Mar are two young cowboys trying to make a living in the American West. They both get hired on to tend a herd of sheep in the Wyoming mountains one night after spending several weeks together. They begin a sexual and eventually romantic relationship. They both then go home and move on with their lives, marrying women and having children, but they eventually rekindle their relationship over the male. Over the next 10 to 20 years, roughly, it's kind of not obvious how long this lasts, but uh, for at least 10 or more years, the relationship continues uh, during their brief fishing trips, quote unquote, that the two take together several times a year. Ennis's wife, Alma, who uh, early on saw Jack and Ennis kiss in the very early stages, uh, eventually ends the marriage between Ennis and Alma, and Ennis spends most of his remaining years uh, kind of mostly as a bachelor, uh, minus Linda Cardellini for a while. Uh, <laughs> after one of their last fishing trips together, uh, well, it is their last fishing trip together, Jack and Ennis have an argument about how they should have lived their lives versus how they ended up living their lives. The two leave on bad terms. It's the scene with the famous I wish you knew how to quit you. Later on, some time later, Ennis receives a postcard he had sent to Jack. It is returned to Ennis uh, and it is stamped deceased. Ennis realizes that Jack has died and he travels to Jack's home to meet his parents. There he finds 
that Jack kept the shirts that they were wearing the very first time they left Brokeback Mountain all those years ago. He takes the shirts home, runs into his daughter, finds out she's getting married, has a nice little moment of remembrance looking at the shirts and a postcard, and then the movie ends. So that's what happens in the film Mm -hmm. of Brokeback Mountain. So... I have a feeling those were remarkably similar. Let's move on. My meta had more details. Let's move on to our game show portion and play Guess Who. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. All right. So we have three Guess Who's. I feel like this shouldn't be tough. Well, uh, it could be. We'll see. I feel like two out of three of them probably won't be tough. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. All right, so our first one here. Um, he had wavy hair the color of cigarette ash parted down the middle. That's it? That's it. Okay. Uh, well, I'm guessing that's probably Ennis. I guess he has, I mean, he has blondish hair. Um, Jack has dark hair. Uh, nobody other, none of their main characters that I can think of have parted like white I'll just say Ennis um, it's uh, Joe Joe Aguirre I think oh is how the, they say it in the, the, the guy that hires yeah, him the guy that hires Randy Quaid him. yeah oh okay um, isn't he bald in the movie he has like a real close buzz I yeah think. how I never I don't I guess it's gray yeah I guess it is gray. I just thought maybe he was going for more like a light blonde I don't know because I guess Ennis has blonde hair, right? Yeah, it's like blondish. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next one. I never would have got that guy's name. No. I don't think we. F- I don't know if we find it out in the movie. Uh, they say it a they couple probably times, do, yeah. but I. I think I only picked up on it because I'd read the story. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the jagged hair, the big nicked hands, the jeans torn, button gaping shirt. He had a high arched nose and narrow face. Was scruffy and a little cave chested. Balancing a small torso on long caliper legs, possessed a muscular and supple body made for horse for horse riding and for fighting. That sounds most like Ennis. See, the thing is, there's a lot of like big mixed with small, and mm-hmm. I don't know because in the movie, Jake Gyllenhaal's a little bit smaller, mm-hmm. I would say, than. Yeah than Heath Ledger and Heath Ledger's a little more like broad a little yeah. not a lot and so I but that that kept going back and forth between like bigger features and like a narrow face and then like a, a short torso on long legs I'm like well I don't okay I'm gonna go with Ennis again that is Ennis okay <laughs> all right cool all right because, again, the biggest differentiator in the movie to me is their hair color mm-hmm. and their facial hair at any given time throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. And the, or their lack of sideburns or uh, prominence of sideburns because <laughs> it is like the 70s and stuff a lot of the time. Yeah. All right. At first glance, he seemed fair enough with his curly hair and quick laugh. But for a small man, he carried some weight in the haunch and his smile disclosed buck teeth. Okay. That one I assume is Jack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you see, he does see he's small. Yeah, so he's smaller, smaller than smaller than Ennis anyway. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, you were right. Two out of three. Now, if I had read that one first, 
would you have thought that that was NS because of the curly hair? No, I don't think no. so. I think I still, because of the smaller, I think I would have thought that that was Jack. I think. Fair I enough. could be wrong. I guess I, yeah, I guess, I guess he, uh, his hair is, Ennis's hair is curly, but they all wear cowboy hats so much. I just True. know the color of their hair more so than like the shape and what's going on with it. Um, mainly again, because of facial hair and stuff that you can see, but all right, two out of three, like you said, I, I, that, yep. That was not too bad. Let's move <laughs> on to, was that in the book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? All right, I have a fair amount of questions. Tried to hit all the tentpole things of sort of the iconic moments from the film, uh, and then a few other smaller things that I thought were interesting about the movie. Uh, and that's always what I do. Um, and we're going to tell me if those things were in the book. And let's go with the first one, which is the dynamic, uh, which I thought was interesting in the movie, is that so they they both get this job, her attending this herd of sheep Mm -hmm. in the mountains. So many sheep. Yeah, lots of sheep. And the way they do it, the way uh, Joe or whatever, the foreman or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, the owner of the sheep wants them to do it is that uh, because he doesn't want the sheep to get eaten by coyotes in the night. He wants one of them to go up and sleep with the herd on the mountain every night mm-hmm. and then the other one to stay back at the main camp uh and the so the person at the main camp basically stays there all day and like does the chores right and then the person that goes up to the herd just goes up there and watches the herd and makes sure you know they don't run off and there's yeah. no coyotes or whatever and so i thought it was interesting that one of them literally goes and works and the other one stays and is the homemaker i thought that was an interesting dynamic <laughs> for this sort of the way their relationship is set up and i wanted to know if that was in the book yeah okay. uh, the setup of that is exactly the same yeah as it is in the book that yeah. they have the whole rule with the forest service where yeah. there's only particular places you can camp yeah blah 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 and they so. can't camp up on the mountains yes. technically so okay that's interesting uh and it, it, i figured it was because it seems like the a reasonable way of how you would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, now there, uh, J- Jack is upset in the movie that he has to sleep up on the mountain because that's not technically allowed. Right. But the owner wants him up there in case there are coyotes. And he's like, Oh look, I, I lost, you know, so many of my sheep last year. Yeah. Just don't light a fire. So he sits up on the mountain and freezes and he's not happy about it. But all right, cool. Next one, we're getting right into it because most of the first 30 minutes <laughs> of this movie is just, them herding yeah. sheep and nothing happening. Yeah. <laughs> and I figured that was the similar to the movie <laughs> or to the book. Uh, so uh, in the movie, they just go right for it. There's like zero prior flirting of mm-hmm. any sort, mm-hmm. really. I mean, arguably, I would say there isn't. Uh, and then they just one cold night and it comes into the tent and then they are just boom fucking. Yeah. Is yeah, that... that's yeah. Okay. Um. So remember when we were sitting on the couch and I was breathing and I had an audible reaction to something. Yeah. And you were like, "What?" And I was like, "I wasn't yeah. expecting it." Yeah. That was that scene. It's funny because my guess was that you were reacting to Jack dying because no. because I remembered that in the movie and I I wasn't expecting that because it's very sudden and kind of seems out of nowhere mm-hmm. and so that's what I thought you were reacting to but that's funny that that's I was just like I think I was expecting more of like a slow a burn build? Yeah. kind of a build yeah. and then it was no. like and then they were fucking and I was like oh, oh. <laughs> yeah and I want to talk about that because I think it's interesting um and and I, I I think I don't know again it, I to me watching it 
as a straight dude, it felt like. At first, I was like, wow, that's wild. Like that, like there's zero. They're just talk, like they've talked a few times mm-hmm. and then they're just right. Having sex. But I was wondering, like, for these two characters, because then the second time they're together, they like start kissing and and like cuddling and like being more affectionate. Yeah. Whereas the first time it's just like a pure like carnal like sexing. Yeah. And I was wonder. I was like, you know, I, I bet that they. I, so if that's how it is in the book, too, I wonder I would be this is again where like I, it feels like it makes sense for their characters because it's like. They it's almost like this the weird internalized homophobia of the characters of like it would be weird for us to kiss each other. Mm-hmm. But or like that seems more intimate to them mm-hmm. and more um, for like perverse to them, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word, than just like this, it, this like driven purely by like, you know what I mean? Like carnal attraction, like let's yeah. have sex thing. Or like just need. Right. Really? Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, and I, I, I was like, because at first it's like it takes you're like, whoa, wow. All right. Yeah. But then I was like, oh, you know, what? I guess I wonder if that. Yeah, that seems right for these characters, maybe potentially. Right. And I think I was expecting a slow build because that's like when I read material that has like intimacy in it, it's usually that type of like, it's more of a slow build kind of a thing. So it caught me off guard a little bit, but then like, I mean, I feel like you kind of have to ask yourselves, like if you were watching a movie with a straight couple, a man and a woman, and then all of a sudden they just like went for it. Would you be surprised by that? And I think the answer for me is no, 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 I can, yeah no I I wouldn't it's just the nature of yeah you're right I I it's not it's I think the thing that it was is that they we had seen the characters literally speak like three lines to each other. yeah well I yeah. think more than anything there was not you know you get almost zero vibe of any sort of again yeah I, yeah but I think you're right to that extent that it is you know if you think about it it's not out it, it wouldn't be strike me as super weird for any any characters to you know or for a straight characters or whatever to immediately but i think in the same regard it would in the same way i th- actually think it's when i thought about it th- i i think it would honestly i it was because there was so little set up for mm-hmm. or 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 preface to, <laughs> to their to uh, to the first time they're together to me, like at least more so than any other movie I could think of. Yeah, I could be wrong, but that's how it, it struck me. But I also thought after I thought about it, I was like, makes total sense to me mm-hmm. when I I don't know. I thought it, it seemed like it did to me. I don't know. Could be wrong. <laughs> it seemed like it made sense with the sort of gruff because I think it makes sense in there because there was so little mm-hmm. that because they had said three lines to each other that right. that their their relationship is also just as. <laughs> sort of a um, truncated and like yeah and uh, I mean and we could get into other issues about like expressing affection yeah 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 Yeah, that's what and that's what I'm talking about is that for these characters they very clearly and we find out more over the course of the movie come from backgrounds where affection was not something right. that was a part of their lives. Yeah. And so that's that's what I'm getting at is saying for these characters just launching right into it makes sense. No, I, I think feel it like. does. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's that's kind of what I was talking about when I was saying these characters with with their backgrounds that we find out, uh, you know, about their relationships with their parents and and, mm-hmm. and and all that sort of thing. Right. And then when you factor in like 
social upbringing for yeah. men in general yeah. and especially the time period. Yeah, because this is the 60s. Yes. In case you, I don't, I, I didn't mention that. I should have in my, in my, <laughs> I didn't group. mention that yeah. either. It starts in 63. 63. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Which I don't think I realized the first time I watched this movie. I thought because like they drive old trucks and stuff, mm-hmm. but like I, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have seemed out of place to me if it was like the late nineties because this yeah. movie came out in like two thousand five. Yeah. If it was like the late nineties and they're I mean they're dirt poor at yeah, least in exactly. for most of the movie at least for the beginning of this movie they're dirt poor and I guess it was also a big thing of like just like cultural unawareness of what it's like to live in in Texas or Wyoming mm-hmm. like to me it may as well like I when I see 1960s and 1970s Texas and Wyoming I was like that could be now <laughs> I don't know like yeah. I know that's yeah. you know that's not true but like just sort of the <laughs> cultural bias and like blindness that I have for that part of the country and I mean I've driven right. through those places a couple times but like well, and the, I mean the version of for example Texas that we're exposed to through media yeah. does kind of on occasion look like it could be yeah. the 60s. <laughs> well, and to be fair, most of what we see in this movie, like short of like the diner scenes, mm-hmm. which are very clearly like in the 70s or 80s when they happen, or, you know, probably like the 70s, late mm-hmm. 70s when we see them in the movie, like later in the movie when they're diners. But even that, because the places we go, and I, that's one of the good things about this movie or one of the positives about this movie, which, uh, there are a lot of them, I think it's a great movie, but is the timeless nature of it because even mm-hmm. though it is set in the 60s and they mentioned it several times in the movie I think because of the locations it takes place when there are cowboys up on the mountain I don't know how much that even goes on anymore but like yeah. I can't imagine it looks a lot different yeah with yeah, the clothing they point. wear they wear blue jeans and shirt you know mm-hmm. button down shirts and ride horses and I mean like the tents and stuff are probably uh, again yeah, I don't even know how much of the, like some more right, modern, modern equipment and stuff equipment. but not that much yeah and like again I don't know how much that even goes on anymore versus right. like factory I don't who knows but um but and then like the the they spend a fair amount of time at different times at like clubs or mm-hmm. like uh, bars and rodeos and those the bar the country bar they go to in this I've been to a country bar five or six years ago that looked exactly yeah. like like it looks yeah. you know what I mean and like it's, yeah it's interesting too because I mean like you could also say like oh well one of the bigger hallmarks of the time period is Anne Hathaway's hair yes the clothes. hair for sure but. Everything's bigger in Texas. Right. That's and there's still like people who wear their hair like that. That's what I was wondering. You know, that's <laughs> the thing where it's like, I don't know how often this is a thing that like or how normal this would be if you went to Texas right now if women's hair would look like this. I mean, probably <laughs> not many, but maybe. I don't know. Like the thing. It is. It is for, you know, uh for <laughs> Uh, and we're not we're from the Midwest. We're not even yeah. like a coastal, you know what I mean, like city slickers, but like yeah, it's still just such a foreign culture yeah. to some extent to and, me. I mean, okay, I would have to bet that there are still women in Texas who wear their hair like that. They're probably just older probably than older she is. Women, because yeah. if you think about it, there are still some older women around here who wear their yeah, hair and no, that like big, absolutely. Like that yeah. big feathered, 1980s yeah. feathered. Yeah. No, for sure. You're right. Yeah, they're just yeah, older, they're than, just older than she is in the movie. Yeah, yeah. The hair is honestly the thing that most gives, and that and the clothing sometimes like to after, some extent yeah. after he gets married to Anne Hathaway, 
like mm-hmm. the clothing because the rest of the time and again when they're just cowboy clothes they just they're blue jeans and like button down yeah. flannel yeah. shirts and stuff it's like that I, that could be whatever like yeah. that, doesn't, that it's, doesn't yeah it's some stuff but then like like lisa cardellini's character i yeah. feel like i could go to a dive bar here and yeah. see someone dressed yeah. exactly like her yeah. with like the shorts and the wedges yeah i i know i i know it was interesting how timeless a movie that is so Old, like set in the 60s yeah most movies that are set in that t- in the 60s and 70s it's very obvious to me yeah that they they're smack set. you in the face with this it. one it does at times but i also be- i think it's because of it like i said it's because it's set in texas and and wyoming it's like i don't know that could be now <laughs> that could be now anyways um does a playful wrangling turn into an angry fist fight um, they do get into a fight on that last day, but the movie the actually the, the movie actually clarified this for me because in the story it's mentioned like when they get back down and they're getting the foreman is paying from them. Yeah. It's like oh, Ennis has a bloody nose and Jack has a bruise, and I I went back and reread it and it doesn't say what happened. Well, oh, really? And I was like, all right, I guess they got into a fight. <laughs> Yeah. So the movie actually helped me out okay, there. Okay, yeah, because in the movie, they, they're sort of playfully f- uh, wrestling, and then it turns yeah, into an the actual fight. Yeah, emotions run yeah. over. Yeah. Which which is, yeah, yeah. Interesting. I, I, I yeah. think it, I, I, I think in the book, having it not spelled out also works. You can mm-hmm. just kind of assume. Yeah. It's pretty, yeah. But you see it in the movie. Does Ennis, Ennis marry a woman and have uh, an unruly amount of children? Um, yes and yes. Uh, he only has two children in both the movie. Does book he not have like movie. three or four children no, in the movie? No, he's got two. Um, really? But they absolutely cannot handle their kids, so I can see how you would interpret only two. I thought two. they had like three or four. No, they've only got two. <laughs> Those kids are everywhere, I guess. And they, well, I guess part of it maybe is because we start time jumping a lot around yeah. this part, and so they're yeah. different ages, and I wasn't sure, you know, like, was yeah. that the same girl from earlier? Yeah, I think that was part of it. But, <laughs> all right, fair enough. Uh, speaking of the time jumps, are there unannounced time jumps in the mo- book? Because in the movie... Every time, I think we get a, a placard in the very beginning of the uh-huh. movie that says, like, Wyoming 1963, maybe. Or if, yeah, even if yeah we, we do. And then we don't get another one the rest of the film. Yeah. It, no, the time jumps are real subtle. And the aging on the, the main characters yeah. is real subtle. Obviously, the, the kids age up. Yeah, the kids are the most obvious yeah. tracking. But, they're, but they very rarely say exactly what year it is currently. Yeah. Um, they, and again, there's definitely never, like, placards saying, mm-hmm. like, Three years later, yeah. four years later, one now year later. Now it's 1975 yeah. or whatever. Uh, does that happen in the book or is it announced in the book? Or um, The story definitely does time jump, um, but the markers are a lot easier to pick up on. Okay. Um, for one thing, there are text breaks when there are time yeah. jumps. Um, and almost all of the time jumps start with like a summary of like what's been going on uh, in the intervening yeah. years, which is a lot of the places where the movie expanded. Yeah. Um, and there are like kind of more obvious markers of time passing every now and then in the short story. Um, there is one point near the end where they say that specifically says that it's 1983. Yeah. So we know that it's been 20 years at that point. Okay. I, well, and we'll talk about it here uh, because you don't have it later. Um, I I really this is not something I noticed the first time was the uh, sort of unheralded time jumps. But I think mm-hmm. it's one of the most fascinating and well 
crafted parts of the movie. Mm -hmm. Watching it this time is how they don't tell you how long it's been. And then all of a sudden, and and, and a lot of times if you're going to do a time jump like that in a movie, even if they don't announce it, a lot of times you'll get like a fade out and a fade in or something like that. Or a very distinct cut that makes it like you'll, you'll cut from somebody's face to them five years later of their face. And that makes it very obvious immediately. Oh, Mm -hmm. X amount of time has passed in this one. The way it's edited is you'll end a scene at one point in time and then it'll be four years later. But you don't even realize it's four years later while you're watching until a minute or two into the next scene. Like you're a ways Mm -hmm. into the next scene before you like can put together the pieces of the outfits and and talking about things or whatever that. Oh, it's been it's been years since we last saw these characters. And I thought it was super fascinating because I think what it does, and it, it, I think it drives home really well, really effectively, one of the central themes of the movie, which is in sort of that last big conversation that they have um, on their last fishing trip. They talk about how Jax talks about how, you know, we could have had this life together. Mm-hmm. You didn't want it. You know, we've been coming up here fishing for all these years, but we, you know, we could have had a farm together or a ranch together and just lived together and been happy. But we, we you know, we did this thing. And I thought it was a really effective way to drive home the idea of a life of your life slipping by you without you even realizing it. Yeah, that time can just melt away. Because they and and especially that they you know that they're they're not one of the central themes being to to take advantage and to and to live in the way you want to live. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the and you notice the time like never jumps when they're together. It always jumps whenever they leave each other. Yeah. And I think that, again, it it sort of drives home the idea that 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 this this this, their lives are slipping away from them because they're not together and that and and they're not living their best lives, basically. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that kind of idea. And I thought it was really fascinating because you're watching and because you feel that same way of like trying to keep track of like what happened? Where did oh now we're five years later? Mm -hmm. What happened to the last five years? Yeah. Oh, they got me. That's what the characters are supposed (laughs) to be. All right. Angley. Damn. Well done. (laughs) Like I was like really blown away by that this time. And it wasn't something I noticed the first time watching the movie. And because it is really subtle at times with how the. Again, with uh, you don't even realize sometimes how long it's been mm-hmm. until somebody says something or you you know or you see their face or something really up close and that I don't know I thought it was fascinating, um, and yeah and so that that does is a part of the book but it sounds like to me like that might be more effective in the movie getting that theme across because you don't get the more obvious no I agree breaks yeah. in where the time yeah. jumps ahead and that sort of thing, um, which. I I think this is the only movie I've seen that I'm sure it's not the only movie that does that, but it's I think the only movie I've seen that does that that in such a in in a way that services one of its central themes so well. Mm -hmm. It's such a it's such a distinct filmmaking technique that complements the story writing. Yeah, the the story, the themes, everything so well, and it was just. And it's a little, it's such a minor thing. And it, again, it was, so, I thought it was so unique to this film that I was just blown away by it this time. Anyways. You know, what's interesting too, is that this is one of those times 
when I think potentially having read the story first maybe did me a disservice because I wasn't able to experience that in the yeah. same way that you did yeah. because I knew that there were time jumps. Right. And I was watching for the hallmarks that I knew were coming yeah. for those time jumps. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think I could see that for sure that if you, yeah, if you know they're coming, you're like, oh, okay, well now. Uh, this oh, is. there's the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been approximately five years. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because it's it it is a really interesting movie going experience. It reminded me uh, a little bit of another movie we did. Um... Oh, elements of that. I, I had a similar experience watching it when we watched um, Where the Wild Things Are mm. about aspects of the filmmaking that being, were being really complimentary. Really complimentary to the themes that they were trying mm-hmm. to get across, which doesn't always happen in every movie that yeah. we watch. Um, but in this one, it's just like very glaring. And it probably also helped that I'd seen the movie once. Again, it was 15. I was in high school 10 right. years ago or whatever. But uh, anyways, cool. Does Jack have a baby with a barrel racer horse lady? Um, Anne, Anne, Hathaway. Anne Hathaway's character is in this story. They do get married. They do have a baby. Uh, there is no mention of her being a barrel racer. Okay. So I think that's interesting in the movie. Makes sense. Of- I mean, we never meet her character. Oh, it's just the, he says. Yeah, he just says, oh, okay. I married so-and-so. We have a baby now. All right. Uh, so after years of being apart, they finally, Jack and Ennis finally reunite at, and at Ennis's home. Uh, and when he gets into the parking lot, they go and hide behind a wall and passionately make out. And Alma sees them because they're terrible at having an affair. Like <laughs> they're they like they're the worst hiders. He ever. goes to hide, but doesn't think to hide from. Which I guess there's maybe some interesting uh, messaging there. He does. He goes to hide from the world, but doesn't go to yeah. hide from his wife because yeah, he's sort hides, of an afterthought. He hides from the street, yeah, and not from. Yeah. All right. I, I, now that I say that out loud, I can see the, the yeah. inherent uh, messaging there. But uh, still, I, I um, <laughs> terrible at having an affair because she just sees them. Does that happen in the book? She just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. The exact same thing happens. Cool. <laughs> Quick content warning for the next few minutes. We're going to discuss homophobia and violence for just a couple minutes as part of a plot point in the movie you can skip ahead just like a minute or two if you don't want to hear that thanks uh there's a horrifying moment in the movie where ennis is uh retells the story of as a boy how his dad took him to see the body of a uh, uh, uh one of the there was a yeah. gay couple living in town and um one of them was murdered and his right. dad took him to I see this. i think that's important too allegedly gay because true, we true, don't actually true. know. Yeah, that is fair. They, yeah, he, they say he, he lived basically him and another guy lived on a farm together, or yeah. a ranch together, and yeah, we we have no confirmation of whether or not they were, but um, yeah, but suspecting that suspecting they were, that was they were gay, enough. They they were murdered because of it. Yeah, his dad takes him to see the body of that uh, the the man that was murdered. Mm-hmm. Does that happen in the movie? Book. Sorry, does that happen in the book? <laughs> it happens in the movie. Does it? Happen yes, in the book? it does. Because that yeah okay because that's a very pivotal character. Yeah, this is Point for Ennis. obviously where a lot of his fear and anxiety stems yeah. from. Yeah, uh, yeah, and and it also gives us a. It's a very quick way to give us a an insight into the type of upbringing Ennis had. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, because we don't hear much about his family other than he they his parents died in a car accident mm-hmm. uh, at some point when he was young and he was basically raised by his brother and sister, but or I think yeah. it says brother yeah. and sister. Um, but in the one brief sort of interaction or, you know, moment we get from his childhood before his parents died, it's like, oh, OK, yeah. that's the kind of yeah house you grew up in. Yeah. Cool. All right. I love this scene in the movie. It just makes me chuckle because uh, so Lorene's dad is being a shithead and well, yeah, he's a big shit. He's a big shithead. And he keeps turning on the TV uh, during Thanksgiving. And <laughs> Jack says uh, Jack keeps turning it off because Lorene asked him to turn it off. And then his dad goes to turn it on, or their Lorene's dad goes to turn it on one more time. And he says, Sit down before I knock your ignorant ass into next week. And I just enjoyed that scene and I wanted to know <laughs> if it was in the book. Oh, no, that scene isn't from the book. Okay. Unfortunately. Also, because his dad then, or her dad then just like meekly sits down. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, next question. And we got to talk about this on a couple layers because this is interesting. You're, what you're note made me confused and i think we need to talk about it so in the movie at one point jack tells ennis that uh when they meet up for like the final time in the movie Mm -hmm. and they're sitting there discussing kind of their lives over the last while jack says that he was seeing a woman behind lorene's back yes and i was making sure i heard that right yes and I thought that was really interesting, and I want to talk about it for a couple of things. But does that happen in the in the book? Yes. Okay. Um, he, in the same fashion, just tells Ennis, um, yeah. "Oh, I'm seeing this other woman behind my wife's back. Um, surprised her husband or my father-in-law hasn't caught me yet. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Okay. And your note here. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. So when they were kind of setting this up. Remember when they were at, like, the dinner club with the other couple? Yeah. And the two wives were complaining about how husbands never want to dance with their wives? Yeah. And I felt like Jack and the other husband were, like, looking at each other. Oh, they are. Over, yeah. They hundred percent. They hundred percent are, and then they're they're and then it cuts to like after dinner, and the they're both sitting outside. Yeah, and he says, and their wives come up to my cabin. Come. He's like, yeah. He's like, I have a fishing cabin that I go. Detective up in the woods. Hopper, by the way, that's from Stranger yeah. Things. Is that there, that actor? <laughs> he's like, oh, well, I've got a I've got a fishing cabin up in the woods. It's real private. I go up there, and I was like. This movie's going to switcheroo, and they're going to make him have an affair with the husband instead of the wife. That's so interesting. He did. But then he tells Ennis. I think he's lying. This is what I'm, okay, okay. this is what I wanted to talk about, because at first I was like, wait, what? But then he says, at a moment later, after he says that, he says something about, or, or some, or Lorene does, somebody has a comment after he tells Ennis that he was seeing this woman behind his back. Somebody says, oh, oh, his mom, when he goes to visit his mom, mm-hmm. when ja- Ennis goes to visit Jack's mom and dad, Jack's dad or mom, one of them says, you know, he talked about bringing you up here to start a ranch. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, just a few years ago, he told us about bringing uh, the husband of of one of his rancher friends or something up. And I think it's implied that that's. 
Hopper's character. Mm. I think he did. I think what happened. Okay, so at first I was like, <laughs> oh, could they, this is just further comfort. I thought that was really interesting. If it, it when I initially hear the line of he saying, I'm, I'm sleeping with this other one behind Lorraine's back, I'm like, okay, well, this is like blatant, obvious confirmation probably that he's bisexual. Yeah. I mean, it would, it would, I don't know, but it would seem strange to me to step out on your wife with a woman if you're not attracted to women. Like, that would, you know what I mean? Like, that seems strange. It was. It is like seems like a lot of layers of like burying that. Yeah, because again, you know, you can, and, and we'll talk about it later on here in our in our discussion about whether you know people argue if are these characters gay, are they bisexual, are they somewhere else, and you know, other some label apply. But I, I was going to argue that it, I think it would be safe to argue in that instance that if that if he was telling the truth there, it would probably be safe to not just say he's not just gay. Yeah, you probably would you would think because again you get the idea of why they're married to these women. You could make the argument that you know that for the culturally to mm-hmm. it's the, this as is a what beard I'm for lack of a better term kind right. of a thing. Yeah, uh, so I married to women and I have a kid because that's what society expects of me and that's what I'm going to do. And then you know, but it seems it would seem strange to me to then go out and cheat on your wife with a woman if you're not attracted to women. I mean, unless he's taken it really deep down the, oh, society expects me to have an affair, (laughs) right? so here I go. Right, but (laughs) what I think is actually happening here is he's lying, he's saying that what what actually was happening is he is having an affair with Detective Hopper, Uh but he doesn't want to tell Ennis that because he knows Ennis will get jealous, but he knows Ennis won't get jealous if he says he's having an affair with a woman, he'll they'll chuckle about it and da da da. Mm-hmm. I like I that think interpretation. That's what I think. That's what's going I th- on. I see because I think that's really interesting, and I thought it was interesting when they were setting that up, and then I, I didn't like have that analysis of it, so I was kind of just like, oh okay, yeah. I guess that's not what they were doing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I think that's potentially more interesting yeah because then they have their big fight the next day or whatever Mm -hmm. and he says jack says to him at one point uh you know you would something about you would you would kill me if you knew the things i'd done or something like something uh, implying that he's been with other men and 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 this would be very you know and Mm -hmm. again i think that's and again then the confirmation later with either the dad or the mom i'm pretty sure they're explicitly talking about that character Mm. Um, when they they mention it, and so I think that is what's going on, and that he was just lying in that moment. But maybe not. You could read it both ways. He yeah, could also yeah. again because if he is bisexual, he could have just been having an affair with yeah. that woman. Although, and we'll talk about it more later. He he seems less bisexual to me. Like reads less bisexual than Ennis's character does to me in the movie, mm-hmm. potentially. And again, we have a lot, well, I have a lot of notes on it later with different people's quotes and and critics and. Um, yeah. Academics and that sort of thing kind of discussing it. But anyways, I thought, you know, so you could, it could go either way. Mm-hmm. Like he could. <laughs> it's a terrible joke. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Get out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A uh, couple big, a uh, b- couple lines. The famous lines happen here uh, back to back, uh, which in that scene he says, uh, after they're talking uh, that night by the lake, he says, sometimes I miss you so much I can hardly stand it, which is one of one of the more famous lines from the movie. Mm-hmm. Is that in the book? Um, I couldn't find that specific line. I went back and I, I skimmed over some places where they have like private conversations. I couldn't find that one. Okay. Um, so I don't think so. But I might have missed it. Just 
my little disclaimer there. <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> Might have missed it. Uh, what about the big one? Mm-hmm. The most famous line from this movie. The most memed line of the early 2000s. I wish I knew how to quit you. Um, all caps, yes. <laughs> all right. In the book. I wish I knew how to quit you. Does Jack die unexpectedly and uh, sort of off camera, as mm-hmm. it were, when a tire explodes? And does Ennis get a postcard about it? Um, yes. Not even a postcard about yes. it, but a postcard gets, notifying him. Yeah, he gets his own postcard back. back and yeah. it's stamped deceased. Yeah. Which, can we talk about this here? Is that actually a thing? Uh, probably maybe that? a thing like in the 60s. I don't think that's a thing anymore. Well, here's the, here's the thing that was weird about it to me. Was that like... So he's he was married to Anne Hathaway still. Yeah, yeah. Like they weren't separated. Yeah. Right? No. Um so he would have been living with her. Yeah. So like cuz I could see where like if it had been Ennis that died and right. he was just like living on his own right. or maybe the post office would just like stamp it. Right. Not deliverable deceased. See and send it back. Yeah. But if you're living with someone like if there's somebody else there to handle the mail situation, I could I could see a couple possible explanations for that. One, maybe back in the day, they were more specific because now I, I don't know. This is all speculation about how mail works, but <laughs> uh, maybe back in the day they were more specific about who the letter was addressed to. Mm-hmm. Whereas today, literally, we get mail from the last four people that have yeah, lived right? in our house. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes it looks important, right? So like. Maybe as long as the like the name is irrelevant these days on mail, as long as the address is the right one, they'll stick it in your mailbox. And now maybe back in the day that was less so. Maybe it also has to do with uh, there. So that's one explanation is that maybe that that has something to do with it. That when they obit comes out or not no, but you know they death certificate whatever. Who knows? Um, Maybe Jack had a different. And now I didn't look specifically at the postcard. Mm-hmm. Maybe he had like a PO box or something yeah, that he yeah. was using for this, so that that was more Lorene wasn't seeing yeah. it or something. That's fair. Or, or uh, you know, or another address or something. Like uh-huh. maybe he was sending it to like some cat. I don't know. Who knows? Um, so maybe that, and then that would come back. Or the other thing is that maybe Lorene. She says on the phone that she didn't have a way to get in touch with him to contact him and tell him. Mm-hmm. Maybe she got the letter. Took it to the post office and like thought, "I'm not going to deal. with I'm not this. dealing with this. Yeah, just put deceased and yeah. send it back. Yeah. So okay. those, I don't know. Those are three possible explanations. That right. I don't know which so of those would. If any of you listeners are postal U.S. <laughs> postal service, and specifically, especially where U.S. postal service workers in the 70s or 80s, even better. Or like but... if you're like for some reason really into the history <laughs> of the U.S. postal service. We'd like to know about yeah. this. My grandpa was a mail carrier. Was he? I yeah. didn't know that. My dad's dad was a mail carrier. Yeah. Got his uh, got his buttock bit off by a dog. Really? One time. Yeah. At least that's what I've been told. I don't know how true that is. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Could it's not like a family family tall tale. Yeah, it could be completely made up. I don't know. That's what I've. I've I, I could even be misremembering. It could have been one of his friends or something. I don't know. Yeah. But. I remember hearing that story. All right. I wish I knew how to quit you. Uh, no, we already talked about the tire exploding. Yes, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, does Jack keep Ennis's bloody shirt? And then does Ennis get it back at the end of the movie? Um, yes and yes. Okay. 
That was interesting because in the movie he's like, oh, I left my shirt up on the mountain. And he's like, oh, yep. Oh, yeah, bad. I want to talk more about that later. Okay. And then the final line of the movie after uh, Ennis agrees to go to his daughter's wedding, be part of the wedding. He goes back inside and he looks in the he goes and puts because his, his daughter left her sweater there and he goes to put it in the closet and he opens it and it's uh, their two shirts are there. And then it's got like a postcard of Brokeback Mountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, Jack, I swear. And then the movie ends. Is that how the book ends? Um, that line is in oh, there. Okay. It's not exactly how it ends because the last scene of the story is actually him like buying the postcard. With Brokeback Mountain, on oh okay, it, like, to to set up, yeah, with the shirts. Gotcha. Okay. What do you think that? I, I guess I guess this could be more of a last in adaptation, lost in adaptation. But what do you think the Jack I swear means? Me like, just... what is the what? It, because I thought that was interesting in the movie. It, I assume it's like a, a it's a, it's a moment of. He's like it's sort of like. Um, oof, how do just what's the words I'm looking for here? Um, you know, camaraderie with his with Jack about his daughter because he's just got this kind of abrupt news that his his young daughter is getting married and it's kind of taking him aback and he's like, oh yeah, I'll be in your wedding and it's all this kind of like and he's mm-hmm. like, oh boy, Jack, I swear, like is that the implication? I think I think in the movie maybe, maybe. Um, in the book to me. I just looked back at it. It comes off more of as like I I swear I won't like forget your memory or oh, like the okay. time that we hmm. shared together because he sets up um okay. <clears throat> um so he he goes to he goes to like a like a gas station or something to look for a postcard. Um, and they don't have one with Brokeback Mountain on it, so they order one for him. Um, uh, so when it came, 30 cents, he pinned it up in his trailer, brass-headed tack in each corner. Below it, he drove a nail on the wi- uh, Below it, he drove a nail, and on the nail, he hung a wire hanger and the two old shirts suspended from it. He stepped back and looked at the ensemble through a few stinging tears. Jack, I swear, he said, though Jack had never asked him to swear anything and was himself not the swearing kind. Um, And then the last paragraph is about how um, for the rest of his life, he just like dreams. He has dreams of Jack. Okay. Huh. Interesting. So to me, that comes off as more of like a I yeah, will well, because the line memory. after yeah yeah kind of a thing yeah which yeah in the movie it it feels the way he delivers it almost more like a like a like a, a like a commiserating like mm-hmm. like I wish you were here so I could talk to you about this like yeah. you know what I mean like yeah like not I wish you were you know what I mean but it's hard to explain because it is such a, it's a it's such a specific choice of three words that um, is very strange and to I me. have more thoughts okay. on that later that I want all right to well that's all i had for was that in the book so let's move on quickly to lost in adaptation just show me the way to get out of here and i'll be on my way was lost yes yes and i want to get unlost as soon as possible uh this i don't know if we get more of this in the movie or in the book uh so in the movie they're taking them the the sheep herding i didn't mm-hmm. understand this and i feel like the reason i didn't understand this i think i started to slowly over the course of the movie but in the opening scene 
they speak nothing but jargon. Mm-hmm. Like the the foreman or the owner of the sheep speaks like nothing but jargon at them about like the sheep and what he wants them to do with the sheep. And I didn't understand at first. I thought they were hurting them somewhere. Yeah. But then it turns out they're not. But what they're doing is I I think what they're doing. So I want to know what what they're doing with the sheep and why. <laughs> um. So there's no additional explanation in the book. But I, th- I think the idea is that they send the sheep up the mountain to, like, graze for the summer. Okay, that's what I gathered yeah. eventually. Okay. Because initially I thought they were herding them somewhere, which is why I was really, like, taking them somewhere. Uh-huh. But then I was really confused at the whole, like, sleeping in different places part didn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if you're traveling somewhere, you would just sleep in the same, like, in the same place. But with the taking them up on the mountain to graze... Mm-hmm. And then that makes sense. And I, I gathered it over the course of the movie, but I was just what and then it, it especially was made clear with them, like bringing them back at the end of the summer and stuff. I was like, OK, that's what was going on. Yeah. They take them up there to feed them. And I guess it was also interesting because I, I was I was also wondering, like, if this is still a thing that's done. Like, are any sheep still like grass fed on the side of a mountain or are they all I'm just sure like some. factory fed? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting because it seems like I'm sure there are some. It's probably yeah. a very niche, maybe thing. But see now, I wonder if these sheep are in the movie. Are those sheep? They're sheep, so they're probably just using them for wool. Or are they using them? Are they being eaten? I would or anything. I would surmise wool. I don't. Yeah, think I don't, it. I mean, it's not, it's not super place to eat common sheep, right? to eat mutton no, anymore. No, lamb, sure. Yeah, but mutton, not so much. Interesting. Okay. Because that's also interesting, though, because then I wouldn't see the grass fed part being a particular <laughs> selling point for the wool. I mean, maybe. I mean, you could you could argue like for like um, compassion and like compassionate animal shepherd or mm-hmm. husbandry or whatever, like them being free range type of thing being compelling to some people buying wool clothing or something. I, I can see that. But it seems like a. Well, I, th- I mean, I think there could. <laughs> And um, just to preface this, I know zero things about <laughs> sheep or animal husbandry um, or the history of either of those. You things. know as much about <laughs> sheep husbandry as I know about the mail, ser- the postal service in the 60s. So, But I feel like there could be factors of like, um, I mean, maybe commercial farming just wasn't as much of a thing. Yeah, I'm sure that's also the case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or maybe uh, that, you know, they're in Wyoming. Maybe there just isn't good pasture for sheep, so they yeah. have to send them up the mountain. Yeah. Maybe it's all being taken up by cows. I don't really know. Yeah. No, I, I agree that I assumed it was more common back then. I know it was more common back then. I was wondering just if it still happens. Like, if yeah. it's a thing that happens with any regularity no still. Idea. That's what I was wondering. Um, And I, I, I don't know, because I, I think sheep are, I mean, they are like mountain animals. Yeah. So maybe they just don't do well on flat surfaces. Again, I know nothing about sheep. Yeah. All right. Uh, my uh, my only other lost in adaptation, and I think there's definitely a, an interesting discussion to be had here, is <laughs> that it's less to do about animal husbandry or the postal service. Um, <laughs> at the end of the movie, after when Ennis finds out that Jack died, he's on the phone with Lorene, and she's telling him what happened that he got he was pumping up a tire and exploded, and he got hit in the face with a hubcap or whatever, mm-hmm. and bled to death basically. Yeah. Um, Ennis then has like a, a it, we see he has like a flash, like he imagines this scene where Jack is murdered. Yes. Um, beaten to death. And 
I think in the movie we're not to assume that's what happened or we're to assume that's not what happened, but that that's merely sort of the uh, the uh, Ennis's fear and imagination running away with it. Mm -hmm. Or do you think that is what we're supposed to think is what happened and Um, that she's coming up with a story or doesn't know or you know what I mean? Or. Well, okay, so... Or that it, it was, like, covered up out, and that's what she was right, told. Right, it plays out the exact same way in the book that it does in the movie. Like, okay. that's the story she gives, and then he imagines, like, oh, here's this other scenario yeah. that that could be, like, a cover-up for. Yeah. Um, and it is, and it's ambiguous. Like, hey, most likely it was just a freak accident. Yeah. But there's always the chance that it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and then the whole... Like the whole way the scene plays out is so like palpably colored by Ennis's fear yeah. that you're kind of left with this like off kilter like ah yeah maybe this did happen yeah. but hmm. we don't know we don't know interesting yeah it's it's leaving it be a thing that is ambiguous but also because of Ennis's fear about this very thing mm-hmm. is more compelling when, since it is ambiguous. I think that makes it more yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Maybe. Which is obviously not good, but it's a more compelling, like, right. It's, it's a, a little bit more to chew on yeah. with your brain. Yeah. <laughs> more brain chewing. <laughs> all right. That was all I had for lost in adaptation. Let's move on to better in the book. You'd like to read? Yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. All right, I only have a couple things um, for better in the book, because as I have said um, this, or as I have alluded to, I don't know if I've actually said it yet. This this movie is the book. Yeah. Just like expanded upon. In our prequel episode, I read the quote from the author, uh, and she said that she felt she's the only author in the history of the U.S. or the history of the world that <laughs> has ever seen her uh, her work come to life one yeah. for one on the screen or whatever. Yeah, so, so it's incredibly close. Yeah. Um, the the guy who hires them to herd the sheep. I'm Randy Quaid. No longer going to try to pronounce his name. Just call him Randy Quaid. It's Randy Quaid. <laughs> um, he reads. In the book, uh, not that he isn't like a slime ball in the movie, because so he definitely pretty, pretty is. Much a slime but ball. he reads more like almost like a weird used car salesman, but like oh. with sheep. It's funny because which I thought was kind of interesting. <laughs> he looks like a used car salesman in the movie, kind of. I think he reads that way at times because he is like Mr. Bottom Line and yeah, like, and that yeah. sort of thing. So I think it comes across a little bit, maybe just not as much as you felt like it did in the book. Because yeah. it, I think it comes across in the movie, like you know he he he's just worried about the bottom line. He's making them do illegal things to yeah you know by sleeping up on the mountain with the sheep, and he doesn't care that he doesn't want to do it, and all you know he's just worried about whether how much sheep he'll have left and to sell. But yeah, yeah. Um, and the other implication with him, which I, I have this in the movie, nailed it, and I probably should have moved it, but um. The other thing that made him feel like maybe like a little bit more of a skis slime ball grosso. Um, so there's that one moment in the movie where he sees them through binoculars, yeah. Which the movie I felt like implied was because he was already on his way up there, yeah. It does because he's coming up 
Yeah, well, at least that's what it yeah. seems because in the movie he watches him, and then in the next scene he rides up on his horse and said, "I was coming up to tell you mm-hmm. that your uncle's dying or whatever." Right. In the book, the implication is more that he just this is just something he like does regularly is yeah. like watch them with binoculars, yeah, which is weird. Yes, and it's creepy. very strange. Well, I, and again, I think that you could read that as creepy, but also just going back to his. His sort of used car salesman, yeah, making sure that they're checking doing in on, checking in on his investment to make sure you yeah, know that they're all them sheep. Yeah. Um. All right. So one thing that I didn't feel like the movie went quite hard enough on, and it, it does go hard on it, but I not not hard enough. Um. Is just how fucking poor they are, especially yeah. Ennis, like. As a way of example, like the first night they're up on the mountain, Ennis takes off his cowboy boots and he doesn't have socks. Mm. And I thought they were going to do it because they show like he starts to take his boots off and I was like ready for it. (laughs) I was like, he's not going to have socks. But then he had socks. Oh, yeah. But like he like he like wears rags. Yeah. And like and I just I feel like it didn't come through quite as well. No, as it does in the book. No, I mean something like that would be very obvious. It'd be a very clear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, now they say it numerous times in the movie. I mean, and maybe that would that's the thing that would be a very clear showing versus telling. They mm-hmm. say a lot of times in the movie about how he's poor, and he says, you know, uh, at the end of the movie, he's like, you know, when he's yelling at Jack, he's like, you don't remember what it's like to be poor and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, about how he has, has to work all the time, and and then eventually, once he's raising all the kids, they're obviously, you know. He's a right. he's a part time cowboy and, and and Alma is a part time or maybe full who knows but she, she works at, the works at a grocery store. store so they're not exactly and they're raising two kids so yeah. yeah they're pretty much constantly poor but um yeah I think that would have been a good way the lack of socks is a good early because uh, they do it with Jack with his truck that doesn't work right like he comes up and his yeah. truck is like sputtering and dying and he kicks it and. Then it takes, you know, when they leave after he, you know, it takes forever to get it started again and stuff. So uh, the socks thing would have been a very, mm-hmm. it seems strange that they didn't include that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, okay. And then my last thing is something that I'm actually torn on. I don't, nah, I don't know if it's really better in the book. I just stuck it here. Um, so the book, the story actually starts out with Ennis as an old man in his trailer um, like remembering Jack, um, and then the whole story is essentially a flashback. Oh, I'm very sternly in the movie is better in that regard. That was the thing. I think it works really well in the story, but I agree with you. In movies, I often find that setup like kind of cheesy and like not super satisfying. I think it depends also on what the story's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Like. I think it can work in movies without being cheesy. I think in this one, with the nature of what we talked about earlier with the time mm-hmm. and slipping by and all that, if we start at the end point and then we work our way back to that, it would feel less. I think it would. I think thematically it wouldn't work as well because we already see him alone as an old man and know that's the end. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, when we're watching it, we don't know how this relationship's going to end. We don't know where this is going. We're we're rooting for them to just be together. You know what I mean? Right. Like we're. Well, and the reason that I think that 
works maybe better in the story is because there's not so much of that focus on time slipping by yeah, in the story. Right. It is a um, slightly different. Yeah, yeah. So there's by having that nonlinear um, starting at the end and then going back to the beginning and working our way back to the end, um, it sets up kind of almost like a dramatic irony where we, the reader, right. know that this ends up really sad and depressing, right. but we can't help rooting for them anyway. Yeah. Kind of like reading Romeo and Juliet after right. you know the ending. Right. And that can work, uh, or, or, or watching Titanic or, you yeah. know, that, well, in that regard, it's a little different because we, they could have survived like the, yeah. both, both of them technically could have, we don't know, you know, but I think in the movie, it just, I think it's more compelling in the movie. Like I get that. And, and there are movies that do that and it works. There's lots mm-hmm. of movies that do that, you know? Um, but I think in the movie, it's, it's way more compelling because you, you don't know. And you, you know, I, I think if we knew, yeah, it's just not as interesting. Like no, a, a, their their whole journey just becomes less slightly less compelling. You can still do it and it can still be really good. I just think, and also the the, the uh, thematically, like we said, yeah, with the time slipping and all. No, that I, the, the for all their similarities, I think the short story and the movie are still doing slightly different things. Yeah, so changes like that make a lot of sense, and it's not necessarily better or worse because they're doing different things. Yeah. All right, time for the movie. Nailed it. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. Okay, um, I'm just going to skate through these because we've already talked about a lot of them. This is like your biggest section, though. Yeah, <laughs> but we've already talked yeah. about a yeah, lot of them. Yeah, we have talked about a lot of them. Okay, the setup where one of them has to sleep in the pup tent up with the sheep and mm-hmm. the other one uh, keeps house. Um, uh, Ennis's backstory about how his parents died and then he has to quit high school because their truck broke down, yeah. which is like the saddest fucking thing I've yeah. ever heard. Yeah. Uh, Jack playing harmonica. That's out of the book. Mm-hmm. Um, although uh, he's better at it in the book. Does Ennis get annoyed with it in the book? It, it seems like not because okay. like he plays harmonica and Ennis sings oh, okay. in the book. Uh, the uh, first- so that's a pretty distinct character change. Oh, well, not necessarily but like we don't think we ever see and it doesn't strike me as a singer in the film true he's much more reserved uh introverted kind of guy yeah he dances a couple times when he's forced (laughs) to but he's not much of a singer (laughs) and that is i think that is something that they could have done to show him like loosening up and relaxing yeah around jack i think i do i do think that would be a criticism of of the movie a little bit especially when you say that i think it would make him a, a more and it's a slightly more realistic, fleshed out character. Mm-hmm. Not that he's not in the movie. Um, it's just he's a little one note, gruff, reserved. Yeah. And again, we see it a couple times kind of come out and we see it. I guess we do see it a little more in the movie at times when they're like wrestling and playing and and, and, and doing that sort of thing where mm-hmm. you see him being a little happier. Uh, the first time they have sex, we talked yeah, about. Yeah, we talked about that. Um, and then the whole exchange afterwards where Ennis is like, this is one-shot thing. Mm-hmm. I ain't no queer. Yeah. Um, that's uh, like right out of the short story. Yeah. Um, and then kind of like the progression of their relationship where they go from like, oh, just in the tent. And yeah. then they're like outside yeah. and they're kissing each other and like wrestling around. Yeah. Uh, the scene where the sheep get mixed up with somebody else's sheep oh, yeah. happens in the story. That looks like a nightmare. I know. <laughs> How would you? But does it even matter? 
at that point. As long as you got the same amount. <laughs> they're like, I mean, I guess as long as they weren't like different breeds of sheep. Well, they say Chilean sheep, but I assume they just, I assume that's I just know, because of. the same to me. Oh, wow. All right. Jeez. But <laughs> <laughs> no, but they, I assume that when they say Chilean sheep, they mean because it's like the, the ranchers or whatever are Chilean or something, but maybe right. they are different. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe like the wool is different or something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But, but all, all of the sheep in that scene in the movie, which is what I meant, yeah. excuse you, Sorry. look the same to me. <laughs> they do not look like different breeds of sheep, but what do I know? But yeah, they drag Nothing them around trying about to f- sheep. Zero things. <laughs> trying to find the brands on them or yeah. whatever. Um, Ennis getting sick after he and Jack part ways, or he has like a violent physical reaction. I was going to ask about that because that was interesting in the uh, and so that is and because in the movie I couldn't tell if he was just violently like crying slash upset or if he was sick or because at first yeah. I was like, is, wait, is he like have is he did he is this going to be some plot point that he like has like cancer or something you know what I, like i didn't <laughs> no, know i was yeah. like wait what is going on and then i was like oh no it looks like he's just like upset mm-hmm. and so it is just like a physically physical reaction to being upset yes okay yeah cool the kiss when they see each other again and almost seeing them um ennis's flashback yeah horrifying flashback with his dad um the thanksgiving scene where oh, um, yeah. Ennis is overeating with uh, Alma and her new husband and yeah. their kids um, and everything that goes down in the kitchen yeah. between them is like word for word, beat for beat. Yeah. Uh, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, Jack's mustache. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I knew how to quit you yes. in that entire falling out scene. Uh, the postcard we talked about. And uh, then, then we talked about the the ambiguity of yeah. not knowing exactly how Jack died. how Jack died and what happened with that. Yeah, so, so like, most yeah. of the movie. Yeah. All right, uh, a few more things and better in the movie, and then we'll get on to. Well, then we have some more stuff to discuss, but let's do yeah. better in the movie first. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. All right, um, so this is definitely one of those times when I think visuals are really just a nice thing to have for a story. Um, seeing the mountain, seeing the massive flock of sheep, <laughs> yeah, um, seeing like the ways that they interact with each other and the subtle ways that they show emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, the bit with the bear. Uh, disrupting yeah. the food. the supply run and then having to hunt a moose to get food, I think was kind of a nice way to show them bonding. And that doesn't happen. Yeah, in the that book. doesn't happen in the book. I don't think this line is in the book. I tried to find it. I couldn't. I don't remember reading it. Um, you may be a sinner, but I ain't yet had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack uh, going up and lassoing Ennis while he's sitting on the ground. Cute, adorable, it's very cute. Very yeah. cute. The, the bit more explanation for why they fought on that last yeah. day, I, I kind of liked having that. I felt like it was a little um, abrupt yeah. or like jarring to read in the book. Like all of a sudden I was just like, well, why does he have a bruise? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I can't believe I left my damn shirt up there. Actual explanation for why Jack has Ennis's oh, yeah. old shirt in the end because they don't set that up yeah. in the story. He just goes like he goes up into his childhood bedroom and he finds the shirt and he's like, he has my shirt. 
And you're like, what? And you're like, how, what? When did he get it? Yeah. Yeah, in the movie, they t- took it off because it was yeah. bloody and changed shirts. So they set that up. They don't remind. Yeah. But they do set up. Yeah. Yeah, don't they? I don't think they I don't they think do. they know. There's no, there's, it's set up, remind, payoff. Right. And I don't, they yeah, skip I think remind. You're right they, yeah, which works but, in a sense. I think yeah. that can actually work sometimes for certain. I think you can break that rule for something like this mm-hmm. where it's intentionally a seeming, uh, intentionally an insignificant thing. Seemingly insignificant yeah. thing yeah. Uh, that then becomes a super significant thing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think in this instance, breaking that rule actually works because you do. Re- it's a scene that's. It's not something that you would forget about watching the movie. Mm-hmm. The fact that they had this fight and and that you know that sort of thing. Um, and then so when you see that at the end, it hits. I think it hits harder without having the reminder in the middle and it would be awkward to figure out a way to work that well in. and I, I think now that i'm thinking about it you could argue that they remind um because they have the flashback when they have their falling out and they show they like flash back to that first summer on the mountain and yeah. you see ennis wearing the shirt oh yeah you do so i guess that's kind of a remind but it's a real subtle remind so i feel like it's still yeah works yeah so getting to see more of jack in general and like what he's up to and what his thoughts are um because the the story mainly sticks with ennis it's like it is it is third person but i would argue it more as like third person limited Mm -hmm. because we're mostly with ennis gotcha um and we don't ever like we occasionally go to other characters but we never actually go to jack that i can recall um so getting to see more of him um and then i had a a couple specific notes like um we get to actually see the scene where the foreman refuses to rehire him yeah because he's gay yeah um instead of uh in the in the short story we get it secondhand from jack much later um and then we get like all of the scenes with Anne Hathaway's character and especially that Thanksgiving scene. Yeah. Um, and like, it was, it was nice to me to see Jack like finally lose his temper yeah. instead of just like biting it back all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and of course then we have a little bit more like character and backstory for Lorraine in yeah. there as well. Yeah. We, uh, her as a, yeah, so we can get a better understanding of like what his life is yeah. in these intervening years than we do in the short story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the bit at the end with Ennis's daughter is not in oh. the story um, where she comes and tell him that she's tells him that she's going to get married. Yeah, uh, and I thought that was really nice, and I thought it was a really nice way to show that he has kind of learned to be present yeah. in his loved one's lives yeah. and like be present in the moment yeah. and like appreciate yeah. what he has it is, and what's it is, going on. It is definitely a, a completion of, his, uh, to some extent, of his character arc mm-hmm. as somebody who very much was never, had a hard time being present and had yeah. a hard time uh, being emotionally involved with anybody. Yeah. Uh, and then... Uh, Jack has changed that in him. Yes. Over the, the, his relationship with Jack has changed that. So now in this final scene, he is able to 
because I mean, we, and, and, and we see it early where there's a moment with his two daughters and it's a little moment, but he's walking by and they're on the swings and it's played as a joke, but I think it's sort of sets up or is establishes what's going on there. He's, he has just been fighting with Alma and his daughters are on the swings and he walks by and they're just sitting there staring at him and he goes, do you need a push or something? And they just look at him and he just walks on yeah. and it's fun. It's kind of played as a joke. Um, but anyways, and I and I think that yeah, it, it, yeah, having that it's really interesting that that's not in the book. I I didn't think to ask that, but because yeah. I just assumed it was honestly. No, I thought it was a nice moment. It was a nice wrap up for him, and especially because I like I got the vibe in the movie. We don't see a lot of him interacting with his kids in the book, but in the movie, I, I got the vibe that like he wanted to be a good dad, yeah. and he just didn't know didn't how. know how yeah. Yeah, I think even that scene that I just talked about is, yeah. is, I think he wants to, but he also doesn't know how to do it. Yeah. And just, he's like, do you need to push or something? They're like, what? He's just like, <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> you know, yeah, he just doesn't know how. All right. Uh, that was it for Better in the Movie. We have some odds and ends to discuss, and then we will get to the final verdict. So let's do that. Um, hell yeah, getting repeatedly slapped in the face with country western culture. Oh, Gotta yeah. love that. Yeah. I, my know is uh, <laughs> the idea of living in a place where everybody is wearing a cowboy hat inside a bar is so foreign to me. There's that <laughs> one of the scenes where they're at, like the line dancing country bar and every single person in the bar is wearing a cowboy hat. Yeah. And I not like, like not just what? a cowboy hat, but like a bedazzled yeah. cowboy hat. Yeah. Yeah, like a ten gallon bedazzled. Like yeah. I was, I I can't not fathom <laughs> being in a place like that. It's just so strange to me. Like that is as foreign as any. Like that's it's one of those things where one of the idea. It's one of those things that you know a lot of times people like like really shitty people talk about um uh, a culture and about how American culture and how. It's sort of an uh, an argument against immigration and, and, and the mixing of cultures and this really mm-hmm. shitty perspective. And it's so fascinating to me that somebody can live in America and say that America has some sort of homogenous yeah. culture that I'm like, when I look at these people at a country bar with 10 gallon hats, that is as foreign to me as any other country. I in know. The, you know what I mean? Like that is that I, I would have just as much in common with those people as I would if I went to uh, like anywhere in like ch- the, the China and like was just like, I literally <laughs> think we would have as much in, like that. There's no. So to me, it's so fascinating and so wrong headed to be like. Oh, these cultures are incompatible. I'm like, or like, what are you talking about? It, it's ridiculous. And on top of it, it's like, it's like there is no American culture. American culture is a bajillion different things. Like, it, it's so weird. Uh, yeah, and that was one of those things. It's just yeah. like, <laughs> this is so foreign to me. Um, kind of on that same note, similar note. Um, something that I thought was interesting, like a visual. Yeah. Aspect of the film was the difference between Wyoming and Texas. Yeah. Because like Wyoming, what we have is the clearly like the poor, like gritty version of this like country western aesthetic. 
Yeah. And then Texas is like glitzy and showy and like everybody has money and yeah. they're all their all their their western clothes are like yeah. very clean. Especially cuz like, the vision of a Texas the part we see is the business owners yes. and like we're we're seeing like the farmers and stuff like the wealthy farmers because Lorene's dad sells like expensive farm equipment mm-hmm. and makes good money. And so I'm sure, yeah, that's the part we see yeah. uh, in Texas. Yeah, which is interesting. It's two different versions of even that, of a, that similar type of yeah. lifestyle, you know, or culture type of thing. But, yeah, it is interesting. Uh, there's some random people show up in this movie that I thought was really interesting. Uh, I mentioned Dr. Or Detective Hopper earlier, but uh, also, and you mentioned Linda Cardellini, but also Anna Ferris is mm-hmm. the one who's married to Detective Hopper. And it was one of those things where it's like, I didn't remember all these really distinct, to me, like really particular people were in this movie. Yeah. Like that are like, and, and like a fair, like Linda Cardellini and Anna Ferris are like, I guess they do both, but do a lot at that point. Had done like and kind of after that, were like a lot of comedic type of actors, and then mm-hmm. they're like, and it's just very. It's one of those things where it's like very, like you know, it's this big Academy Award nominated film, and then this is like the girl from Freaks and Geeks, and at this point <laughs> in like 2005, and like Anna Faris is like, what had she even been in at this point? Like, I'm trying to remember what uh, the scary movie movies yeah, like yeah. Uh, were like her biggest thing at this point probably and then i don't know what anything what detective hopper had been in at this point i'm sure he'd been in stuff but yeah like i my first introduction to him that i was like aware of was stranger things i know he was been in stuff plenty of stuff before that but nothing that i was really watching so it was just very fascinating watching this movie again and be like oh especially because we just got done like watching dead to me the other day on netflix <laughs> and i was like oh look linda carlini's in this movie all right cool oh can we just like Oh, and Kate Mara. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Which is weird. She plays the daughter, uh, the old older daughter. Can we just talk for a second? We don't need to talk about it, really. But I just want to mention how awful Anne Hathaway looks blonde. <laughs> yes. Like, peroxide blonde, it's not a good look. No. And I think I, will, I would benefit, I would hesitate, or I would... Bet that that a lot of that has to do with the type of blonde that is that like peroxide, yeah. like terrible. But yeah, it's not the most flattering hair color on her. See, I wonder if she had because like Linda Cardellini's blonde in this movie, too. But hers is like a more it's not more. I think it's also dyed, but it's yeah. like a mixed like kind of like dirty kind of dishwater. And I, I, I would wonder if Anne Hathaway would look better <laughs> like that. Probably. But I don't know, because Linda Cardellini looks good with the blonde hair in this movie. But yeah, I don't. It's interesting. Yeah, it was not a good look for Anne Hathaway. I don't think that's partially on purpose. It was probably on purpose, but it really just does not suit her. <laughs> no. Uh, and, and speaking of hair and makeup, the, uh, the subtle old age makeups in this movie are really good. I don't mm-hmm. remember if this was nominated for makeup, but especially on uh, in several of the scenes on Heath Ledger's character, mm-hmm. I thought was like really. Yeah, yeah. Like, well done. Like, when later, when it's, like, 20 or 30 years later, it's uh, just a little bit around his eyes yeah, to really just, age like, him up. It's a little around his eyes, like, both of them. Yeah, and both then, of them. Um, and then they gave him, like, you know, like, a little bit of a spare tire. Yeah, yeah but I thought it was really subtle and worked really well to just look, because bo- they were both pretty young. Yeah. And, you know, and especially when you compare to how they looked in the beginning of the movie, it uh, it's like start it's like a stark difference, mm-hmm. and they look so completely different. Cause yeah, Heath Ledger was nineteen seventy nine, and this is two thousand five, so he was twenty six. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, or when they were filming, it was 24 probably or something like that. But uh, let's talk about Alma. Yeah, let's talk about Alma. <laughs> Alma. Uh, one thing that I kind of wanted to watch for. Yeah. As we were reading this, as I was reading it, as we were watching it, was whether or not um, there was any kind of like humanizing of bigotry homophobia that's a problem that tends to happen a lot of times in uh that was i think a fairly big criticism of three billboards outside yeah. Ebbing, missouri which and, i did not and see and also but um green book green book green yeah book. uh and there and it's definitely a problem that hollywood for sure has yeah and uh, i think it's a problem especially too when you have somebody telling a story about a marginalized group is who not is not a member group. of that marginalized yeah. group, I think you can have that and not even realize that yeah. you have that. And 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 so we're going to talk about it here. And we, and since we are also neither part of this marginalized group, we may not be as cognizant of it yeah. as other people. But um, we did want to keep an eye out for that. And I think the, we both kind of agreed that the main character where that seems to come across if you're watching this where you could read that is with Alma. Yeah. Because she does say some pretty homophobic things at certain well, times. Specifically um, in the scene in the kitchen at Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because it's really the only time that she ever confronts him. About, about the, fact that, the fact that he's been right. having a years long affair. Yeah. During their whole marriage. Yeah. And the movie definitely. So that the, the, the where it gets complicated is the movie definitely depicts Alma. Uh, Michelle Williams' character in a sympathetic light. Yeah. Because she is being cheated on. And she yeah. is in a, in a an unloving relationship. Uh, well, at, later on. It, they seem to have a fairly loving relationship when we first see them. But um, later on. And uh, and we know she's being lied to and all that thing. So the, the, the movie definitely is, show, is trying to give us a... Make us feel sympathy for her. Right, at and least she, at some level. At, at, on yeah. some level, um, and she is, and she and she does say homophobic things. I I would argue maybe, and I don't. I because that being said, I thought that a lot of what the movie did actually didn't humanize a lot of the bigotry in it for mm -hmm. the most part. Now, again, I thought hers was most. You could probably make the most compelling argument for her character, um, but like I thought it was really interesting that a lot of the different characters who do. I thought the movie, one of the things that did well that a lot of times movies don't do well, and I could be wrong about this, because um, I think this was a, 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 a problem with Green Book. And I guess I could see. So in Green Book, I know one of the criticisms <laughs> was that like the people who are bigots in Green Book are like overtly racist, like yeah, like almost cartoonish, cartoonish, racist villains. And they say overtly racist things to the black character's face. And then our our and then Vigo more Aragorn comes and saves the day or whatever. Um, I, again, I haven't seen the movie, but that's the, the sort of what the vibe I get. Um, I think this movie, it seems to me, does an OK job of having not just the cartoon levels of race or of bigotry, mm -hmm. whereas there is that with some characters. There are characters who um, overtly call people, you know, uh, homophobic slurs and things like that a few times. But a lot of it is a little more subtle and like, yeah, again, even when because like 
the, one of the things I thought was interesting is that when uh, Randy Quaid's character doesn't hire mm-hmm. uh, back uh, Jack, he makes it clear he 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 couches why he's not hiring him back by saying I I paid you up there and watch the sheep. Uh, and you let blank amount of them die. He also says that you guys, he's, he implies, you know, he says he knows what, that they were sleeping yeah. together up there and that sort of thing. But he never outright calls him a homophobic slur. Right. And so it is a more, to me, I thought that was a more nuanced, like, realistic, it's, like. It's, yeah, it's a definitely, it's a more reined in. Like, yeah, you're still being, it's still awful. And he, and, but here's the thing. We're not supposed to feel any sympathy for that guy. Right. The you know movie I mean? doesn't let him off the hook. No, he's still a slime ball. He's, he's a slime ball and we're supposed to hate him. And, and I, I, you know, you feel no sympathy for that character, but I thought it was interesting that that, I thought it was well done that, that he's not just come out and go, I don't hire F words, you know, burr, yeah. burr, like there, he just goes, uh, he he kind of couches it with like I'm not hiring you because you didn't do a good job watching my sheep. Oh, for your day, like you know what I mean. Like yeah. that felt like a, a realistic portrayal of that. That that isn't just the outright because again that can be like a, a silly cartoon. Like because then it, it gives people cover. It, it gives people that do have the harbor those feelings of bigotry. They if they in a movie where the only bad people are the ones who just run around overtly using bigoted slurs against people right. and like fighting and like punching gay people in the face. If you, it, it gives cover to everybody else to go, well, I don't do that. So I'm not, right. I'm, I'm not, not a bigot. I'm not, I'm not that bad. I'm, I'm not, not that. A bigot. I'm, I'm not a, yeah. yeah. The, the big, the bigots are the ones who go around punching people in the face and calling them right. N words. Like that's bigots. No, like, I, I agree with you. I think it is important to have portrayals of a, a more subtle, like insidious and yeah. kind of like that more reined in yeah. um, depiction of bigotry. Yeah. And it happens a lot in this movie when he's at the bar, even there's a lot of moments where like people just kind of look at him and sneer and like give him a look and they can mm-hmm. tell like when he kind of hits on that one guy, but the guy doesn't like punch him in the face and call him, you know, a, a slur. He just goes back and says something to his friends and, and Jake Gyllenhaal just leaves because he's uncomfortable yeah. at that, you know? And I thought that was all like, really well done and sort of nuanced portrayals of like the different ways that <laughs> yeah. that can affect somebody with that's not just, you know, this overt uh, thing, but going back to Michelle Williams's character, uh, Alma, the wife of Ennis, it is, it does get a little muddy there because, um, again, she is of all those other characters. We're not, the movie doesn't want us to be sympathetic with any of those other characters. Mm-hmm. It does with her character. I think you had an interesting point though, that about their relationship that I think kind of makes it even more complicated than just we're supposed to sympathize with her and she's a bigot. Like, I don't know with, with the nature of their relationship being as volatile as it is like, cause also in this moment, like Ennis is like assaulting her. Yeah. He has a, a violent reaction. Yeah. Which again, understandable potentially yeah. the, the, to the to the fact that she's you know being outright uh, homophobic at him and I, I, the emotional reaction that happens. I think the movie's trying to portray their relationship as just a deeply flawed one that was yeah. never going to work. Maybe, yeah, maybe I don't know. I, I don't know. I, it it is complicated, but I don't think that I. I don't think that I think that. Michelle Williams's character that Alma would have been. I think she's just as motive. Her, 
her bigotry feels to me less motivated by bigotry than by her anger and betrayal. And that's the way she knows how to like, and and maybe this is, maybe I'm defending it. I don't know. I I, I don't, I don't think I am, but like, I feel like because he's cheating on her with a a man, I think she would be just as mad and say just, just as mean things. If he was cheating on her with a woman, but I think because yeah. it's a man, she's using the vernacular she has to express, and it's terrible. But like, but I don't think the movie then goes, and it's okay that she called him those things, or that it, you know what I mean. I don't I, know. I it, would, I would tend to agree with you. I, I could disagree. I, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a. It's a goddamn bitch of an unsatisfactory situation. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Because I, I do think you're right that even if he had cheated on her with a woman, I think then in confronting him, she probably would have still lashed out in anger and probably would have said a nasty thing about that woman. Yeah. Like, would I call her a slut or yeah. a homewrecker yeah. or whatever? Yeah. And I, I think where we're trying to split hairs here is, like, is it worse because it's arguably a, a more, like, it's a bigoted yeah. thing? Yeah. Wait, say it. Sorry, say that again. I don't know. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, yeah, you could be right. Um, yeah, you, yeah, maybe it is worse because she... Because it is how she chooses to lash out. Be- I, you know, that's you know, that's interesting. I, maybe that is because the fact that the way she she doesn't lash out at him. I guess I can see it both ways, but I, I'm the, I'm the enlightened centrist. But uh, um, but I, I, I think I, I can see what you're saying that it, the fact that she does choose to lash out that way and not about you lied to me. Yeah. You, and I maybe I'm trying to read into her that that is what she's actually mad about and that it, you know, yeah. Well, yeah, I think it it is. What is she mad about? Yeah. Is she more mad that she was betrayed or is she more mad that she was betrayed with a man? Yeah. And we'll never know. We'll never know. I guess, I guess you're right. I guess that is the, what it kind of boils down to. To me, it felt like she was more upset that she was betrayed or that you know he's he lied to her and stuff for all this time is how it felt more like to me but i i i can see watching i can absolutely see watching it and feeling like um that we're supposed to sympathize with her in spite of the fact that she's saying these awful things mm-hmm. and feeling like that's not great <laughs> because it's not yeah um but yeah, it's. I think it's complicated. I don't know. I don't. I, it's one of the reasons I think the movie's really good and well done is that it's it's not a simple to pull apart and mm-hmm. sort of you know what I mean. It yeah. all. Uh, uh, yeah. To me, all the characters in it feel very real and nuanced in the in the way they react mm-hmm. to the sort of weird. And then it's all couched. You got to go back and and then it gets even more complicated to me because of it is 1960. It is right. It is. Texas or Wyoming like it I don't know it 
I don't know. To me, that all it makes it even more complicated in how all of these people react. Like what? Mm-hmm. And I, again, <laughs> cancel me, I guess. But like I this goes back to my determinism thing of like what? My my point was going to be that what like what like, what chances does does Alma's character right. have growing up in that situation chance, to not grow up what, a bigot? Yeah, what chance does a poor woman growing up in Wyoming in a very conservative place in 1963 have of being to being able to articulate her anger in a way that doesn't automatically yeah. reach for yeah yeah something horrible yeah bigoted language i agree i yeah and that's that's a whole other thing but uh, that is very uh complicated um but i i think that you know it's definitely something to consider what you would like to see and you don't get to see it in this movie because it's the last scene she's ever in yeah is if she ever comes to a place after that where she realizes and learns or understand you know uh because you know if she gets to a place where she's able to um, realize that her anger was in the wrong place or maybe yeah. motivated poorly or, or, and yeah. that, and, and that she shouldn't have uh, that, and that she is harboring these weird uh, feelings and that maybe, you know, um, I don't know. I think to me, like, yeah, you made the point that him having a violent reaction could be the movie showing that this is well, this was always an unhealthy relationship. It was always going to be an unhealthy relationship. And I, I don't disagree with that. I think that point can stand. Um, but for me, him having that violent reaction, and he, he, does, in, he does in the short story as well. Yeah. I want to make that clear. This scene was very, very little changes. Yeah. Um, I didn't feel like it was even very ramped up at all from what the short story does. Yeah. Um but like to me having him have that violent reaction makes it worse because I feel like I'm supposed to feel more sorry for her. Yeah. In that moment, you know? Yeah. So I feel like they could have even changed his reaction in some way. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. Yeah, cuz if he reacts more level-headed or not level-headed okay, but, but he reacts yeah sorry that's we'll say I mean. wounded yeah was yes my that's what i meant yeah if he reacts like he's like she has just cut him so right. deep um but not violently yeah which and, and then but then i feel like it makes sense for his character that's the thing it makes sense violently. for his character his his <laughs> character has always solved problems by yeah. punching it or whatever like yeah. that's just you know and i and what chance does his character have of 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 somebody who of who grows up dirt poor and doesn't have a good father figure and then has no father figure? What chance does he have of not solving his problems with his fists? Katie wanted me to make it clear here that when she says father figure, she's referring to any sort of parental guidance, uh, whether it you know regardless of gender or anything like that. She's using the shorthand for father figure because we see his father in the movie. So that was kind of why she said that. But we're, we're talking about just any sort of adult or person above them who can help instill good values in them. I'm slowly converting you. <laughs> <laughs>
I never disagreed with you. I know, you. I know, I know, I know. I know. I it's just a compli- don't agree on all points. I know, I know, I know. I'm joking. Um, yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah. It's the thing that I think that to kind of put a cap on this. It's been a long discussion about <laughs> else, and and I have a little bit more I want to talk about. I think to put a cap on it. I think the movie. I think you can argue. I think I totally reasonable to watch this movie. Watch a scene where. Uh, a, a character that we are, have grown to like over the course of the movie and feel sympathetic for says hateful, awful things, and we're still supposed to feel sympathetic uh, mm-hmm. towards her. I can un- totally understand watching that and feeling grossed out by that and not liking it. I think you have to maybe try to weigh that against the movie as a whole mm-hmm. and the messaging of the movie overall, whereas every single other character that we see that expresses those... Uh, couple things one the context of the time and the place yeah is, is one thing but also every other time we see a character act hateful and bigoted they're expressly coded in the film as not good yeah and not sympathetic yeah literally she's the only one uh uh everybody else it, it, uh, jack's dad everybody in the bars that they run into uh the uh, the, the the guy at the beginning, Randy Quaid's character, all, everybody who, mm-hmm. you know, who has, says awful things uh, or or not even says awful things, uh, sneers or well, they're all coded as just like not bad. Great. Yeah. And so I think when you weigh it as a whole, it I think the movie very clearly comes down on the side of not sympathizing with bigots like I, mm-hmm. it feels like it. I think there is, you, you know, you can argue that that. It's a little messy with her, but I don't know. I think the nature of the relationship yeah. between the two of them makes that more complicated than yeah. just, well, she said hateful things and we're supposed to sympathize with her. So this movie is cool with sympathizing with hateful people. I don't think it's quite that simple, mm-hmm. but I, I don't know. And I think, too, you can go off of that, too, and read it as kind of like, isn't this just sad? Yeah. Isn't this just sad that this culture that they've both come up in makes it impossible for them to be happy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's one of the themes of the whole freaking yeah. movie is and why the movie takes place when it does is that the, and, you know, that the culture that they're in and where they live and when means that they are robbed of the chance of being happy. Yeah. And it's not anything they can do about it, really. I mean, they technically kind of could maybe, but but not really yeah. because, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Last thing I want to talk about in this before we get to the final verdict, and I, oh boy, that, okay. Um, <laughs> we thought this would be a short episode. Uh, mostly, that was part of it was just like 20 minutes. Uh, so I'm going to talk about the... Oh, this is interesting. Uh, first thing, in 2015, the Hollywood Reporter polled Academy members on controversial past decisions, and Brokeback Mountain won the revote for Best Picture. Well, hindsight this, is 2020, yeah, I guess. This is the year that Crash won, and uh, people were not excited about it. Um, <laughs> talking about the sexuality of the two main characters, which we talked about a little bit at times, I have some different stuff here. So this is interesting because this gets into a little bit, a couple different topics. It gets into like by erasure and other things. Um, but also it's uh, okay. So a lot of different layers here. LGBT nonfiction author, Eric Marcus dismissed quote, talk of innocent Jack being anything but gay as box office influenced political correctness intended to steer straight audiences to the film. 
Now, here's the thing. I I get where he's coming from in regard to if you don't if you say if if, if, if your marketing and stuff is like, no, they're not gay or or when Jake Gyllenhaal and Heath Ledger talk about how they think they're straight men in this. Like, Mm -hmm. I get what he's saying in that regard. But it does feel a little bit like talk of them as anything but gay. Well, they could be bi or they could yeah. be pan or they could be like, you know, just whatever version of queer they like. But like, yeah, it felt. But I, I think in the context of what he's talking about there is not pushing back against that so much as pushing back against the idea that they're just like straight dudes. Right. Like, so don't <laughs> worry, people, conservative people, they're not gay. They're straight. They're just in a like, you know what I mean? Like trying yeah. to spin it some weird like way, I guess. Like, but even that, I, uh, it's all it's all complicated. But because even that, I, I, I think you could argue. I think there's probably I think there's legitimately a place to argue. Uh, but then the labels get weird and you probably just call them by. It's like I, I think there's potentially a place to argue that you could be, quote unquote, a straight person and have a sexual relationship with a man once. And yeah. I, I maybe maybe not. I, and maybe again, maybe that just I mean, fits I into think, bi, yeah, that's, like a, a, that's fine, and I get that. But I, but I think if there was like if it was like one person who were like for whatever reason was like this distinct thing mm-hmm. that feels different to me than like I'm attracted to men and women. Like I'm, attra- I don't you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't disagree. I, I don't know. I think labels should be up to the individual right. Absolutely. to decide. Yeah. So yeah, and and that's the thing that makes it interesting though, because in the, I think Keith Ledger's kind of right in the sense that with these characters, they don't even know they don't have a yeah. word for gay. They're just like potentially, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, mean, I mean, they, they do certainly. But they certainly, I don't think, would have had a word for bisexual. No, and definitely not pansexual. No, so no, no, they definitely <laughs> would have been. Uh, yeah. And, and it does feel very much like there are moments in this movie where it very much feels like Ennis is absolutely bisexual. Mm-hmm. There are one of the early scenes with him and um, and, and Michelle Williams. They, the, the movie doesn't, at least in the portrayal by Heath Ledger, he's there's moments with Jack where he feels uncomfortable with women, where mm-hmm. it reads his interaction with women and his sexual interaction with women feels uncomfortable that we're supposed to read it as somewhat uncomfortable. In the relationship with Michelle Williams and Heath Ledger, I didn't get that feeling, I- except for later when they have all kinds of marital problems because he's cheating yeah. on her and and things have be- have blown up. But in there, they have a they have a love scene very early in the movie that feels absolutely like they're both equally into it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, to in the, to the regard to where it feels like okay, then he I I think it would be safe to probably not say he's just a gay man or whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't know. I thought it was interesting though. What's interesting about because I, I got that reading in the movie too. Yeah. Um. But in the short story, I actually read it the opposite way. Really? Yeah. I felt like Ennis was more coded, like clearly gay, yeah. and Jack was more coded, like maybe he's a little more like bisexual. Hmm. Interesting. But we also don't actually spend any time within Jack's perspective. Yeah. So that's through the filter of Ennis. Yeah. Annie Prue says, whose story is the basis of the film, said, mm-hmm. quote, how different readers take the story is a reflection of their own personal values, attitudes and hangups, end quote, which that's true of every story ever yeah. about anything. I love but- that, though. That is because that is classic like old guard author yeah push it off on the reader that's your problem not mine. however you took it is how you took it (laughs) 
It's like Tolkien. There is yeah. no message in this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, Tolkien. It's so different from like kind of like the new guard author, like the J.K. Rowling-esque type of where they want to like control every yeah. facet of yeah. the story. Yeah. And then finally on this, uh, sex researcher Fritz Klein said that the film was, quote, a nice film with two main characters who were bisexual, end quote, and suggested that the character Jack is more, quote, toward the gay side of the spectrum and Ennis is, quote, a bit more towards the straight side or bisexual side. I don't know mm. if that makes sense. but um. Well, I guess he probably has more knowledge on that than I do. <laughs> Again, little, I think your, your point is... Fritz the sex researcher. Yeah. Um. Your point is correct that... Labels are only as important in that regard as to what, how people want to be yeah. labeled. And so, yeah. yeah, label yourself how you want, and I'll call you that. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyways, let's do, a, <laughs> let's do the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. All right. Um, so I've talked about this, but uh, this was kind of a wild adaptation for me because it, it is it was really just the short story almost shot for shot. Yeah. Um, the things that they expanded on are there. They're in the text. They're just like asides or they're summarized really briefly within that short story. Um, there are very few things added to the movie that aren't somewhere in Prue's original text. Yeah. Um, now that said, I think I am going to give it to the movie. Okay. Um, I, I think expanding the story helped it, in my opinion, um, especially especially like the expansion to seeing much more of Jack's character. Um, like I said, in the story, we really only get Jack through like an Ennis filter mm-hmm. um, and seeing him on his own, I think, emphasized both the similarities and the differences between the two characters in a way that was meaningful, yeah. I think, um, and helped to tell the story and helped to convey the themes. Yeah. Um, and I think seeing more of both of their other relationships was also helpful because it fleshes out those two main characters. Mm-hmm. And I think it allows them to be human in a way that the text simply didn't achieve. Um, we can see their emotions. We can better understand their motivations as they wrestle with like what they want to do and what they don't want to do and what they feel like they're supposed to do. There so. you go. The movie is better. Katie called it. All right. What do we have coming up next, Katie? Um, we are continuing with our summer series. That's right. And we will I be talking that. about. <laughs> so we'll be talking about the two towers. Yeah. Uh, which I'm excited for. I've mm-hmm. started reading it already. Uh, it was my favorite one of the three movies for a long time, but it's not anymore. I don't think I have to re- mm-hmm. I'll see upon rewatching it. But uh but I am interested to watch it again because it's been a while and I'm interested to read it because I don't remember. I remember even less of this book and the third yeah. one. Yeah. So Two Towers coming up in two weeks. Uh, we'll do a prequel episode before that in one week. As always, you can rate and review us on, on iTunes, Stitcher. Nope. I don't know if we're back on Stitcher or not. I can't figure out the situation with Stitcher. I, we apologize to anyone who was listening on Stitcher. Yeah, we don't know what's going on. If you're listening on Stitcher, I'm sorry. I don't know what's going on. Uh, I thought I fixed it. It was like a link thing. Uh, I don't know. Um, but hopefully it's it's fixed. I haven't checked it in a while. Um, but anyways, if you rate and review us anywhere you listen to us, that would be great. Also, you can follow us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Goodreads. And we have a subreddit. And until next time, guys, gals, non-binary, and everybody else. 
however you want to label yourself. There you go. Pick it. <laughs> keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And keep, and keep being, being awesome. awesome.